so I think the, the chase of attribution drives marketers in the wrong direction all the time, but it's not necessarily the marketer's fault. It's the organization's fault for how they measure the marketer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get down to the bottom of some stuff today with Chris Walker, CEO of Refine Labs, up and coming marketing agency. Uh, Chris is a marketing genius. And not only marketing, sales in general. If you haven't followed him yet, um, please go and do that. Just go to his page, check out some of his content. You won't be disappointed. Woo! Yeah, Steven Tyler's pumped about it. Um, he's just, he's got a different point of view about how social media and marketing and sales works in 2020. And I learned a lot in this interview. One of the things that I picked up was just the velocity and the volume at which he's pushing out this content. He's pretty much um, using the Gary V model, uh, like records everything he does and pushes it out as videos. Like we recorded this podcast and then he's recording his end of the conversation with a webcam and a good microphone, and good lighting and everything. And like two days after we record the episode, he has a week worth of content coming out. Like he put out like three, four videos that week um, that was basically just his side of the conversation. And it, it was like a light bulb turned on for me. Like, oh, dude. Like it, it was like... um. I don't know, why did it take me so long to put this episode together? And he's got the content out already. So he's just, I mean, he's super dialed in. Um, definitely, uh, there's a lot to learn from somebody like that. He's He's been around the block a few times. Um, we get into it in this conversation about um, attribution and marketing and um, just buyers moving them along, moving themselves along the sales process further and further. Um, before they ever talk to a salesperson. So why don't we help them do that, right? Like the people that can educate their customers or their prospects faster are the teams that are going to win. And the teams that are stuck um, in like, uh, you know, attribution for the marketing team, like marketing saying that, you know, we sent over 40,000 qualified leads to the sales team. It's just, I mean, it's just antiquated. The last thing I'll say is that this was my first interview, so my timing wasn't great, and I think there was a slight delay on the Zoom call. Um, they'll get better. Um, just a little bit of self-awareness around the fact that this, you know, I'm I'm not exactly, um, I don't know, a famous interviewer or anything. It'll get better. All right, here it is. This is my interview with Chris Walker. You're the first guest. The reason why is because you're the first one that was available. I mean, 
I, I booked cool. a bunch of people. Like I, uh, Josh Braun, I talked to him. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to see Josh on Thursday. We're doing an event in Miami. I'm, I'm going to be at the Seattle one. I signed up to go to it. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, his other thing that he's doing, the flip the script. His, yeah, because the flip the script, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the one in Boston because I just want to see what Chorus is doing. Um, but him and I are doing something separately in, my, in Miami. I'm going down there for a team meeting, and him and I are going to do something. We have like, uh, like 20 people registered. It's on Thursday. We're trying to get like maybe 30-something people there. And we're going to film it all and put that out too. He's a very cool guy. So, uh, Josh, I, yeah, I got awesome. him to agree. I, I sent him a book. Um, because I know that he likes, uh, trail running and Ironmans and all that stuff. So I sent him the book about yeah. the Barkley marathons and wrote him a note and said, Hey, would you do my podcast? So then he made a post about that and was like, yeah, definitely let's do it. But he's not available until March. Um, not available until March. Oh yeah. Cause he's going on the bus tour forever. Right. They're really, right. they're literally driving a bus around the U S I know it's, cra it's crazy. And I've, it's I've been crazy. following all those guys. Like, um, I don't know the whole time that I've been trying to do this. So like, yeah, yeah, it's exciting for me. But then that same day, I like my goal was to take Josh and then use Josh to get myself more guests. So yeah, like he made a post well, about it. Hopefully I can do the same, but I'm, I don't think I'm as, uh, I'm not quite on Josh Braun's level right now, but we'll get there. We sure will. We sure will. <laughs> Um, anyway, I, I got a bunch of people to sign up. Um, but you were the, you were you like willing to jump on right away. So that's like, that's very valuable to me. Like, I don't, I don't care what order I put it in. Like who, you know what I mean? Yeah. Podcasting, it's a long game anyway. Like five yep. people are going to listen to this that like are my friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's right. I, but when, but once you have a million people listening to it, they're all going to go back to episode one and see what happens. I know. I, it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be fun. Um, it, and you, like you're in Boston now. I grew up there. I spent my whole life in Boston, but I moved to Seattle like two years ago. So like, just tell me a little bit mm -hmm. more about that. Like, have you always been in Boston? No way. No, I, w I went to school in Worcester. Uh, I grew up in New Hampshire, went to school in Worcester. And then for the four, first four years of my career, I worked for a big British holdings company. They own a 60 technology and engineering companies around the world. And I would jump around to all their different subsidiaries and do different projects and engineering operations, product management. It was like an MBA in a box. It was awesome. Um, learned a ton. Um, that company's model was to grow profit 10% year over year. They have an incredible, incredible stock performance over the past 20 years. Um, but it didn't, at some point, it didn't really get the, me that excited anymore. Um, I was looking for companies that were growing faster. And so I got into the venture world venture back startup world in like 2016 and then that's when I moved back to I lived in New Hampshire for a year and then I came back came down to Boston I've been here for like the past four do you do any hiking up there like I I mean Lafayette uh the that presidential ridge trail was like my favorite hiking in the whole world I do uh I do quite a bit of snowboarding in the White Mountains up in New Hampshire or up in Maine um, I don't have, I don't have a car in Boston, so I haven't gotten out of the city all that often anymore. Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some decent hikes. I take my dog sometimes around the city. There's like, yeah. so if you, there's like parks on the outskirts. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. so I lived there for like 30 years and then my wife is from Anchorage, Alaska. So that's, uh, we sort of like met in the middle in Seattle and I, I just, I fell in love yeah. with out here, but uh, I am going to be going back home. One of my buddies is getting married this summer, so I'll be back. Cool. 
Yeah. Last time I was in Seattle, I went, uh, I worked, I worked for a medical device company and Seattle Children's was a huge customer of ours, like really important customer from a referral brand standpoint. And they were obviously a great revenue customer. And so I managed that um, part of that account with the thought leaders inside there. And he was like a daredevil and he took me, I, I, I'm not a good mountain biker. I actually like never go. Um, and he took me on Tiger Mountain. Oh yeah, which I, I know Tiger. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was, it was me and two, a guy from Boston Children's, a guy from Seattle Children's, both like expert mountain bike riders. And going up was fine. Going down was awful. I flipped over the handlebars. I didn't get hurt, but it was like super dangerous for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, my, my, the, one of the other guys on the sales team here is a huge mountain biker and he's been trying to get me to go. And I'm like, dude, it's yeah, I, I can, I can barely ride a bike on the sidewalk. Seriously. Yeah. I, uh, I probably wouldn't go again. I, I had enough. <laughs> it's like super scary, man. You're, you're like riding off of bumps and you got to commit. Uh, Cause if you don't commit to it, you're just going to roll right over. Yeah. It's really yeah, hard. It's, yeah, it's nerve wracking. So uh, <laughs> the, the medical device company, like uh, I'm trying to figure out how you got to this mindset that you have about um, marketing and the sales process. And like, I, yeah. I mean, it, to be perfectly honest, I was surprised to see you on Josh's podcast because Josh, his podcast is about like tactical selling. Like prospecting. how do you do outbound sales better? And you're saying like, don't do outbound. Mm -hmm. so like uh, i'm trying to piece together like how did like how did you come to this like how um you know and your like refine labs doesn't do any outbound sales at all like it so i mean i've been going around literally telling people just because after the few times that i've talked to you before um and looking at all your stuff on linkedin i'm i'm thinking like this guy has really turned this whole thing on its ear and it's, it's just a different approach. And I'm like trying to pitch this internally. I'm like, he didn't even hire any sales reps. He hired a video editor. Like, how did mm -hmm. you, how, so like, how did you get to there? So it was at, the, it was at the medical device company that I worked medical device in general, super traditional. Um, but specifically in their go to market strategy, they were incredibly traditional. A hundred field reps around the country, they would literally drive to hospitals and look for someone to talk to as like their approach to cold calling. Like it was there and it was, it became over time harder and harder to actually just get into a hospital with credentialing and even harder to get people's attention. And then when they did have meetings, like let's say they set a meet, they got up with the medical director, they set a meeting, they would drive six hours across the state because they own that whole territory. They would go to the meeting and they would talk to someone that wasn't ready to buy. And it was an incredibly inefficient way to go to market. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, uh, I just had, like, I saw this massive business problem. We weren't, everything that was going through the, the sales channel, we were doing, I mean, besides trade shows, we were doing no over the top communications. And so I started, you know, we installed market automation. We integrated it with Salesforce. We, um, started producing content at the first point it was blogs. And then we, as we started to see success, we got into long form video and breaking the video up and running paid ads on, on the, um, to, to distribute the content. So that's like one thing that a lot of people don't do. That's my model, which is I use paid to guarantee delivery of content, not to advertise to you. Mm -hmm. It's a complete mindset shift because 
And the company, the biggest problem for that, the company that they had was they had a market education problem. They were selling a disruptive product into hospitals, trying to displace a product that had been gold standard for 40 years. And yeah. people didn't understand the clinical data behind it. They, they didn't understand that it was shown to be equivalent, if not better, and less side effects for patients. And so in order to educate like a market at scale, it's really hard to do that through a sales channel. And so we started to produce content as a mechanism to educate people, which then led to brand awareness and sales opportunities. And so I started to see that work. And what was the, what was the most interesting was the efficiency metrics of the sales between the two channels. And so when we came in, the sales cycle length was 210 days. Um, and if that was for AE sourced, if we were going outbound with an SDR, it was up to 280, approaching a year, right? Mm -hmm. And the win rates got lower. The win rates for, for SDR sourced meetings were like 4%. The win rates for AE sourced were like 17. And then inbounds were like 40% win rate, 50-day sales cycle, similar deal size, average deal size. And so like when you think about the scalability of, am I going to go and make a sales expansion and hire 10 more people to have this efficiency of growth? Or what if I hired three marketing people and made all my existing hundred reps significantly better by giving them more leads? And you get, you start to create, as you yeah. ramp up the marketing engine, you create a blend, a, a bigger blend of inbound leads, which then dilutes the outbound contribution. So it's not like you should, especially for a big company, it's not like you shouldn't go outbound. You should just have a bigger contribution of inbound. Yeah. Right. And with your bigger contribution of inbound, your average sales cycle length goes down, your win rate goes up. Ideally, your average deal size stays the same. Your inbound leads are going to attract, the inbound leads are going to attract typically smaller accounts because the bigger accounts, the salespeople are already working. So even if you did impact and influence that sale, it's going to get attributed to sales activity because they're already working it, not marketing activity. But you get the brand, you get all of the, the big net effects of the branding and the content to both big accounts and the revenue impact on the smaller accounts, smaller so, mid-market type stuff. I, I think where a lot of people get in trouble is, <clears throat> is exactly right there in the attribution, right? Like I get, I would get a lead and from, from marketing and it's like, well, what did you do for me? I'm the person that picked up the phone. I called them. I talked them into the meeting and then I schmoozed whatever, whatever, right? It was me. So I should get comped on that. And then the marketing person's mm -hmm. like, well, no, I should get comped on that because I gave you 40,000 leads this and you wouldn't have anybody to call if it wasn't for me. And then it just, it turns into this war. Right. And it's like, we're all in the same team. Yeah. So like, yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people, like when they hear this concept, like the, there's a lot of pushback, right? Because like the common, uh, like the common methodology for a SaaS org that gets like this, you know, venture capitalist comes in and gives them $10 million and they're like, you better go out there and hire 10 sales reps and show me X revenue this year. Right. So mm -hmm. like, and that's just a model by which people operate. Like it's just like a default. Mm -hmm. And, and what you're saying is like a little bit of creative thinking. It's like, just, just get more gas out of the people that you've already got there. Absolutely. And the attribution thing, I have, I have a, a stance on that. So I think it's completely, I think it's good to guide decisions. It should never influence comp or other things like that. So like as a marketer, um, I never got comped on the leads that I delivered to sales. There were reps that made a hundred thousand dollar commission on a deal that I brought them that they closed in 50 days and I made zero. 
if I was lucky, they would buy me a, a, a like a watch, right, um, to thank me. And so um, the, I don't think the comp is necessarily the the challenge. It's that people people use attribution in the wrong ways, and so they use be, because people are so caught in attribution, it forces marketers to do the wrong things to get attribution. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly, and, and, and so I've seen it play out. In I've order to just happen. prove it, in order to just prove it, I need to gate forms. I need to do direct response, social advertising so that I can get that person's email and prove that I made an impact instead of just delivering information to the person in a great way, which then creates brand and sales activities later. And so I think the, the chase of attribution drives marketers in the wrong direction all the time. But it's not necessarily the marketer's fault. It's the organization's fault for how they measure the marketer. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you. And I, I want to stay on this for a minute because I was having a conversation today with another guy that I met on LinkedIn. He just wanted to chat. And he's using like a very, like a, what I consider a good strategy on LinkedIn, which is like, He's connecting with people and then asking them about their business. And if it looks like he could help them with his product at all, then he'll go into like, oh, well, this is what I do. But mm -hmm. until that, like, he'll, he'll just take the conversations. And so whatever, I wasn't a target for him. But he mm -hmm. started to tell me about like what his strategy was. And he's got um, uh, some document, like a white paper or something or something that explains what he does. And he's like, yeah, you know, I have strategies for people and I'm giving it out. And as long I, as they give I me think I, email I think address, I know who you're talking about, by the way, I think might. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not going to say his name. I mean, he's a good yeah, me guy. Either. <laughs> um, but like, he's saying like, I'll give it out as long as I have an email address. And I'm going like, well, why don't you just give it out? Why? Like, like we, you're just reducing the number of people that are going to download mm -hmm. that paper and like look at it and like they're not going to believe you like they're going to think that they're getting spam if they have to put it in email you're going to get clint eastwood mm -hmm. to download your white paper all over the internet you mm -hmm. know what i mean mm -hmm. totally so like totally um what like what would you say if if there's some like here's the other thing the first point that i was getting to is you know, the, the VCs come in, they give you a bunch of money and then they hire a bunch of sales reps. And then inevitably some 23 year old kid like ends up in the chair as an SDR that like has to do the job. Like what if mm -hmm. one of those people was listening to this conversation right now? Like, I know this would like kind of like the tactical part that you talked about with Josh, but like, what are some things that you can do? Like, what, is there any strategy there to like, to use that concept of like giving information to people that, that you would prescribe? Yeah, so there's uh, there's a couple details here. One, any of the advice that I'm about to give will be almost impossible to implement because of how the company measures the SDR, mm -hmm. right? They're measured they're measured on meetings and they're measured on short like short term metrics that create short term behavior to jam meetings in, right? If you weren't measured that way, and you were measured on something else like what I would measure marketing on, which is qualified pipeline and revenue as opposed to a inter like it would be equivalent to marketers being measured measured on mqls which i think is dumb and they should be measured on something later in the funnel even though they don't have full control over it and so let's just pretend that they were measured on revenue if i was an sdr and i was 23 and i was measured on revenue and not meetings i would start to take whether it's whether marketing's creating good information and i need to reform and repackage it 
in order to give it to my buyers in a way that they want, um, I would start to do that. I would become an expert in, um, in the product in the market. And then I would, I would publish content. And if people, I don't have the right followers, then I would start going outbound with the content. I think that an SDR should be more like a guide than a seller. Um, like yeah. guiding buyers with the information that they need and helping them along the way. As, and then once they're ready to have the meeting, or at some point, maybe you can feel that they're ready and then you kind of ask. Um, that's the yeah, way with, that I would so do it. Tracking the opens and like if they forwarded the email, like that kind of thing. That's, that's, what I, that's what I would do if I was in SDR and I wasn't trying to become an AE in six months. So there's like a lot of confounding factors. It's how they're measured. It's how they treat the position, which then puts people in a position where like, I'm going to, I'm going to be out of this role in six months. So why would I ever play the long game? Why would I, why would I, why would I help this person? Let me say that that was the wrong way to say it. Why would I continue to produce this content knowing that this person might buy in nine months or in, you know, 18 months if I'm not going to be in this role? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that it's that easily solvable because of how they're treated and measured. That's fair. And I've, I've been on teams before where they try to do like, so the, the team that I'm about to talk about doesn't even exist anymore. So that gives you an idea of how, what the, what mm-hmm. the CAC was like, what the cost of customer acquisition was like, you know, what the spend was like on the team it was like very just obviously a cost center and they got rid of mm-hmm. it. But, uh, um, one of the things they did was they tried to change the comp structure like halfway through. Like at first it was exactly what you said. It was just based on number of meetings. And they set this quota that was like not attainable. It was like, you know, 20 meetings a month, but uh, we're going to give you leads with that don't exist or whatever. And yeah, yeah. they tried to change it to like um, reflect not just the number of meetings, but like um, sales accepted opportunities. So it's not just like a meeting isn't even good. It's like, did the, mm-hmm. AE and the AE like nodded his head yes and checked yeah off, right like so that was mm-hmm. one thing as a level thing, of subjectivity in there yeah go ahead sorry sure but the the second thing they did was like they started to track the amount of pipeline that you were able to add right like instead of just closed business they're looking at like dollars in the pipeline which I immediately was like dude what like why would you ever why would you do it that way because I'm just going to like f- fill in as much as I can at that point and like make this, yeah. this pipeline number like out, through the roof, but that still, we're, we still haven't gotten to close revenue, right? You're still spending mm-hmm. money uh, to have like, have somebody sit down for four hours in a day and like in, invent these deals that aren't going to go through. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, so I don't know, man, I, I just, I, I feel like there's a lot about this that's broken and um, I'm trying to figure out like now that I work at a much smaller company where we have a really tiny sales team, we're just building this for the first time. We're trying to like do mm-hmm. it a different way, you know, like um, yeah. that's, and that's why, like I was drawn to your content to begin with. Yeah. So I, I learned this in two different situations. So I've been in companies, so it's not like I'm talking in theory. I've just seen it happen. Okay. In one company, you have, 
for SDRs, they are only incentivized by setting a meeting and you have field reps that are gonna go then call on that meeting, okay? Now, they need to set 30 meetings a month. Those reps are going to do those meetings. You're gonna win those deals at 4% and they're going to take a really long time. So the cost of the SDR is tiny in comparison to the hidden cost of all the time your reps are wasting. And that's where it becomes super interesting, right? So you have to go out and you have to do 20, you have to travel. They're probably, they're driving across the state. They're probably staying in a hotel. It's probably the only thing they do that day is the demo at that hospital. And they have to do 25 of those in order to win one deal. And it's going to take 180 to 270 days. Okay. So that now you have 24 to 25 wasted opportunities with highly paid account executives. Hmm in order to get that one deal. We need to figure out a different way, a more efficient way to do that because then you need so many reps in order to do that much to hit your revenue targets that then you create a sales team that is too large for what the company size is. You become reliant on that channel and as the, as the company continues to grow, you can because you're so invested in the sales team, you have to continue to grow it in order to continue to hit your revenue targets and get more funding and all these different things. And before you know it, you're at 150 reps that are super inefficient with terrible economics. Your CAC is too high. And if you don't get to profitability and sell, you will inevitably get crushed. And that's what, I, that's what I'm afraid of. So that was the one company that I saw. And then I saw it at a different company that was much smaller. They were doing, when I got there, they were doing no marketing. They had uh, five SDRs straight out of college, four account executives closing, the win rates on the S they were scored solely on meetings. The win rates of the SDRs coming in were somewhere between like one and a half and 2%. It was inside. So there was less hidden cost to it, but you have five people cold calling all day and you'll be lucky if you get, you know, they're selling a six K ARR product with a super low efficiency engine. You're burning $250,000 a month. That's going to play out over time. Um, and so I, I'm only interested in finding the most efficient buyer centric way to build businesses. And the, the best way that I've found so far is to attract people with the best information that you have that educates them on how they can do their job better, or they can advance professionally, or they can build their business faster or whatever you're trying to do. And then allow them to recognize you as somebody that might be able to help them because of the awareness created by you providing so much value at the beginning. It makes a ton of sense. What, how do you think um, social plays into this? Social is, uh, especially on LinkedIn for B2B, it is the, it's the B2B communication highway. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you can go on there and get more awareness in four hours than you can with a $50,000 trade show booth. You can have more conversations, have more touch points with buyers, in a couple hours than you can by having five of your reps travel across the country, be out of the field, build a $50,000 structure that's going to get teared down in a couple days and completely just waste a bunch of money and time. And so social right now is just a, the, the most, I hate to use the word organic, but it's the, the word that I, I have to use here. It's the way people discover things. It's, it's scalable word of mouth. Like yeah. the most powerful 
I asked this question, I think you answered it on LinkedIn months ago. It's like the last product that you bought, how'd you find out about it? Okay. Like 90% of the answers were word of mouth from somebody else that, that works in a company like yours or someone that you trust or a peer. And so if you have a good product and you start to create conversations and you have happy people, you're basically just creating an accelerated word of mouth online. Yep. Yep. And I would even say like, even if like the deals that I've pushed through at my current company, mm -hmm. like, every time, even if it's like, it was pure outbound, like I sent them an email and they replied like, yes, let's take a meeting. And then they get yeah. some money at the end of it. They still ask like, can you give us any references every single time? Totally. Yeah. And, and, totally. I mean, it's like, it's like what, I mean, and so how do you get there? And I think if you're not, if you're not using the platform, like there's, you're, you don't understand completely missing it. Right. At this, at this stage mm -hmm. of the game in 2020, it's like maybe in 2004, you could like, you could get away with like, you know, the gated content and, and just outbound mm -hmm. and cold calling and stuff like that. But 15 years later, it's like, man, you, you, you just have to be doing this, you know? And you see, yeah. and it depends where your buyers are. You see the companies that do it right. Like, Gong is a company that like I'm loyal to that brand and I've never given them a dollar like that. I just, mm -hmm. I just know that all their, all their stuff is out there. I mean, and they, they put good content out that's related to it's topical for me. And, and mm -hmm. I, I follow them like same thing for you. And like your company is not a huge company. Like you don't have a, t like you don't have a huge budget like you don't have a ton of employees that are like hitting me up and trying to get me to buy anything i just like came across these videos and i was like oh shit that's an interesting point and then i saw another mm -hmm. one and then i saw another one and then i saw another one and it's just like oh my god i gotta call this guy yeah you know like what is he doing yeah i mean so to that to that point i think i i think one of the biggest takeaways that i have that a lot of people will disagree with, with me on this um, but I think social is a brand channel, not a sales channel. Okay. I think that you build brand that can create sales later, but I know that long-term, cause I'm trying to build this company for a while, that the value in me being able to meet you and interact with you and do this podcast in three years might lead to you making a referral or you changing companies and you, and you need marketing and you come to me or whatever it is, I know that that's the reason that I'm on there. I'm not on there to sell something tomorrow. Yeah. And so I'm, so with that mindset, I'm able to be patient. I never send an outbound message asking for a meeting. I produce content that I give away my best advice. I answer every comment because I know it builds depth and relationships. And so like, those are, um, those are the strategies that I have in place right now on LinkedIn. And another thing that I wanted to get in is that it's it the, the platform will be different based on who your buyer is. And so if you're gong and you're selling to sales reps and SDRs, LinkedIn's the place to be. If you're selling to marketing and sales professionals, you're gonna go to LinkedIn. But what about when you're selling to emergency physicians or um, CNC machinists? Like we hit, and this is 2016, 2017 timeframe, we crushed Facebook and Instagram advertising to emergency medicine physicians. 
if, if you do the same thing on LinkedIn today, even three years later, you're not going to get any results. And so the first thing is understanding yeah. your audience. Um, yeah. And I think you told, a lot, a lot the, of companies story, will, yeah. you told me the story about that. Like you went and interviewed the nurses, right? That, that had influence to the decision makers and you saw them like scrolling Facebook on their phone and you were like, oh, like there it is. Super interesting. I was in, I was in an ICU um, at, a, at, at a Children's Hospital Healthcare of Atlanta at two in the morning. Um, they were trialing our product and doing some stuff like that. And I just, it was quiet there. I looked around and everyone's on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram when they're not taking care of patients. So why, why wouldn't when they're there at two in the morning and their patients on like a device that's inferior, why wouldn't we want to show up there? And the thing that people get caught on is trying to show up there saying, Hey, come get a demo. Not, mm-hmm. Hey, did you see that this clinical study was published that indicates that this might actually be a better choice for you? And that's, that's why Facebook ads don't work for people because they think, they think too short term about it. It gets back to the attribution conversation. It gets back to a lot of different reasons. So the same strategy that I take on LinkedIn, which is, I am doing this for a while. I'm building brand. I'm not doing sales, all those different things I've done at companies and seen the benefits long-term of taking that approach. It, it just flat out works better to give people information and let them come to you yep. than to go to them. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Well, yeah, I have, I have a couple points. Um, one is I, I saw a stat the other day that said that the modern buyer is 80% 80% of the people are well-educated on what you sell and have made most of their decision before they ever talk to a sales rep. 80%. Sure. Only 20% will even talk to you before they know what it is or know what it does. So I think what you're doing is like feeding that, pro- let's accelerate that learning process. Let's get the information in front of them and, mm-hmm. and, and show like, like move them along the buyer process before you ever meet them. And then they'll just come and talk to you. Right. And then it's a much easier mm-hmm. conversation. You know, the hardest part though, it's super interesting is that it's not only about getting the information in front of you in front of them. You need to get them to consume the information and the information has to be the right information. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not about, I showed you this ad and you saw it. It's about, I showed you this ad. It was interesting. You clicked on it. You read those five paragraphs. Those five, five paragraphs made an impression, changed your mindset slightly. And if you do that three or four or five times or whatever it takes for your buyer to recognize that, then you've created, you, you've changed the way that they think about what you do or, or what you're trying to accomplish with them. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Let's, and then let's do it. I, I love I it. Have, I have a punchline also. Like I have a quote that is probably going to play to your point, but people are going to say back, well, I'm not selling to nurses. I'm not selling medical devices, man. I'm selling software to uh, SDR managers. Like that doesn't work for mm-hmm. me. What do you say to that? Okay. There's a lot of people trying to sell. I, I, I think this is a human conversation, not a job specific conversation. People buy things differently, not doctors. People told, people told me that. Um, when they were, when they had a hundred sales reps that we would never sell a product to physicians through Facebook, mm-hmm. they were wrong. I, I would, I would, I would say that, um, and, and we sell, I, I sell things to marketer, like VP marketers and up and CROs. And, and we've, we know that it works. 
Um, and so, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a clear like response, I suppose, off the top of my head to that question, except for the fact that like, you're, you should try it. Um, <laughs> because I, 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 it would work better. Now, my response, and I, I picked this up, I was watching a Chris Voss video. Are you familiar with, okay. with that guy at all? I, surface level. Sure. He was, whatever, he was an FBI hostage negotiator. And he was having, like, sort of a similar discussion with, like, look, why would you talk to a hostage negotiator about how to sell things? Like, those things aren't related. And his response is, like, well, everybody has a limbic system. And he understands how that works. Like he's talking mm -hmm. about brain chemistry. Like, like when you talk to somebody, what things make them feel like whatever his, his point was more tactical, but I think what you're saying is mm -hmm. also true, right? That when, when people, just people in general, like when they make a decision about something, like they want to feel well-informed and they want to feel in control and they don't want to feel mm -hmm. like they're being led around by like somebody on a used car lot. And I mean, at, at its most basic form, in order to sell something to someone, the first thing that you need to do is have their attention mm -hmm. in order to tell them what you do. And my argument is that there's more, you, you have a much better chance of getting their attention by creating information that they want, which then leads them to have an affinity to you and learn what you do and then figure out what you do and, and have, they, they create, they initiate that process as opposed to you trying to get their attention by sending a cold email or cold calling them, which is happening with a lot of, a, a lot of people are selling to SDR managers. There's enough SaaS products that do it. They're getting the same channels every time. The, the value is in how you actually get their attention. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, so I think if you look at it at that level, yeah. On like, I guess this would be a good segue. Like if somebody has, is listening to the show and they've made it to this point in the podcast, like you've, obviously engage them in some way. So like, who are you looking for? Like what kind of people talk to you? Like who, who's a good inbound for you? Oh, I mean, uh, and, and what we, do you sell? Like what, we haven't even talked about your company at all. Like you, this would be, yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I usually come on these to, to provide my perspectives and provide value. I don't usually talk about what I do. Um, but we are a, uh, a B2B marketing agency slash consulting firm. We work with B2B companies that are typically two to $50 million in revenue. Um, they're already growing fast and they're looking to grow faster and more efficiently. They're looking to lower their customer acquisition costs and get ready to scale. Typically the company that we work with has a, uh, a marketing leader and several marketing employees and we inject our strategy into their team. And then over time, their team becomes capable of executing it, executing on it themselves. And they, they build marketing as a core competency. So the core of our differentiation is instead of needing that marketing agency forever, you actually, because I, uh, I believe wholeheartedly that over the next five years, you need to know what I'm, what I'm talking about. You need to know how to do that yourself. You cannot outsource this. And so um, if, you, if you agree with that position, you need to figure out how you're going to learn how to do that. Um, and I, the way that I approach it is very different than your director of demand gen is going to approach it. And I think my way is better. And so the companies that 
believe in that that theory of creating content to educate people and not sell them and not create MQLs and actually create buyers that have affinity to your brand long term um, would hire us, work with us for somewhere between nine and 24 months. Their team, we implement the strategy, we teach their team, we demonstrate that it works, we help them get more marketing budget to scale it, we prove that it can scale, we help them fill any talent gaps, and then they're off and running on their own. Right on, man. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I'm confident that you can handle this question, but do you have any good stories? Like what's a good, a good customer story? So we, we've done a couple, we've done a couple customer stories. I'll talk through a couple. Um, so our strategy is really dependent on who, who the company is, who they're selling to. So the first part is like, who are you selling to? How are we going to get to them? What information do they need? Um, how are we going to, we have a core kind of like offering that we, we know the things that work and we know how, how to use them, but not everything works for everyone. And so, um, so we had one company that we worked with. We've been working with them for about seven months now. Um, before we worked with them, they had negligible inbound revenue. Um, and their team was producing content at a very low rate. They were spending a lot of money on trade shows. We we helped advise them. We built them a content strategy. We changed their budget around to be more focused on content and digital, and they cut the trade shows out. Um, and seven months later, for their target segment that we've been going after, they've generated over a million dollars in pipeline and, and grow, growing and have closed over $500,000 in revenue. And so that's pretty substantial. The, the segment we were targeting grew uh, year over year last year, 59%. Um, and so that, that means that's meaningful for that company and the results they get. And it will grow over time because they're building core competencies. The organization is changing to have to allocate more budget that way. Um, they're learning a lot of new things about their customers. They're starting to podcast. They're, they're on their way nicely. Um, I'm really happy with that result. Um, another one, we're working with a, a SaaS company um, for that one. We have been doing a lot of like what I do. Um, from a LinkedIn perspective, using their CEO's platform. Um, and we've been working on that for four weeks now. And they've done 50K in deals that way and generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in pipeline in four weeks by just implementing a content strategy instead of a sales strategy on LinkedIn. That is and so like, man. And so th those, uh, those, are, those are some stories. We've, surprisingly, we've only been in business. We've only been working with clients for seven months. And so, or maybe, maybe it's close to nine now. I have to think back. Yeah, it's probably closer to nine. Um, you so know, was it the, like May of last year? Yeah, yeah, May 1st of last year. That's um, when I started was, at Fullcast. Okay, how <laughs> ironic. And so there's, yeah. there will, as we've started to refine our ICP, build processes, have now our team's up to five people. Um, we're starting to attract more of the right clients that are ready for us, if that makes sense. And so companies that are ready for us, believe in our strategy, have the resources to execute on it, have sound a sound marketing strategy, have a sound sales strategy that's repeatable. And when you take that, that model, they're already growing, they have product market fit, and you inject a good communication strategy on top of it, those companies' oh, yeah. growth accelerates quickly. So those are the types of companies that we're looking for, the ones that are growing at 25% and want to get closer to 
want to get close, want to go fast. All right, man, you got anything else? I think that's all the questions that I have for you, unless you want to throw anything else in there. Um, uh, no, I don't think so, man. I, I, uh, really appreciate you having me on here. I'm sure we'll chat for a little bit afterwards. That'd be great. And, uh, yeah, episode one. <laughs> there it is. All right. Thanks very much. Chris. <laughs> oh, cool. and where, where can people find you? Do you want people to hit you up on LinkedIn email or what do you do? LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Chris Walker, very popular name, but you'll find me CEO of refine labs. Very good. And listen to his content, right? Like on the, <laughs> I know people, people like hit you up with an automated direct message and you're like losing your mind. Like, do you not see anything that I write here? Uh, yeah. I mean the automated message and I've gotten very strict about this gets an immediate remove connection. And so, um, and I, I, this is, this is my behavior trying to make a point, but I guarantee that that will continue to trend that way over time. Uh, more people will do an action like that where if you connect and pitch, you will get dismissed and not have an opportunity to sell to that person in the future. Yep. Yep. All right. Very good. All the insight from Chris Walker, hit him up if you guys need any marketing help. Thanks very much, Chris. Cool, man. Thank you.